Hey, John. Yes, J.D.? You ever hear the story about all those people who were massacred on this very spot where we are currently having this campfire chat years ago? No. Locals will tell you that it's all in the past, but I don't know. Maybe it'll come back to haunt us tonight. Today's episode, Fear Street Part 2, 1978 versus Friday the 13th Part 2. It's me. everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Movie Deja Vu, the podcast that answers the question, didn't I see this somewhere, from two movie aficionados. I'm your straight-laced head counselor, Shady, and with me is sexpot stoner, John. <laughs> so are we going to see your titties? Uh, it, I have, it, we're still working on my contract. Okay, okay. Um, Fair enough. Because I want to be paid extra for that. Right. But probably. (laughs) You guys, you guys, drugs aren't the enemy. Okay? Okay. And everyone's a winner. (laughs) (laughs) It'll like really open up your mind. And then two minutes later, your skull gets cracked open with an axe. But I'm... Oh, <laughs> all right. So if you listened to last week's episode, you know that we are moving on to part two of Netflix's Fear Street trilogy. This one takes place in 1978. And if you didn't listen to the last episode, go do go that. Go back. We, we talked a lot. We yeah. talked a lot about a lot. And this time we're going to also talk about a lot about a lot. Oh boy. I, I have so many notes Oh, I've got some thoughts and feelings that we need to like explore. All right. Well, before we explore all of that, do you want to just go ahead and let's explore the background of these movies? All right. I will do Friday the 13th part two first since it came out first of these two movies. Uh Uh-huh. It was released in 1981, written by Ron Kurz, based on characters by Victor Miller and Sean S. Cunningham, directed by Steve Miner. It's got an unbelievable Rotten Tomato score of 28% flat and a Metacritic score of 26 out of 100. And that is out of eight reviews. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's one positive, three <laughs> mixed, and four negative. And the one that is positive is six, it, they rated it a 63. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? Times have changed. Sure. <laughs> And the IMDb summary, Mrs. Voorhees is dead and Camp Crystal Lake is shut down, but a camp next to the infamous place is stalked by an unknown assailant. Dun, dun, dun. And we all know who that unknown assailant is by now. So good job. Yes. uh, Casey Casey Becker got it right for this movie, not the original. She confused them. She confused them and paid the price for it. (laughs) <laughs> no, Steve paid the price for it. Oh, right. She paid the price for not not knowing, knowing where door. what door. Right. She paid the price for basically existing and the killers wanting her dead. Seriously, guys, go back and listen to our uh, first episode because we are referencing, we do reference Scream in that one, which is what we're talking about right now. Right. But moving forward. Right. Moving forward. 2021. Woo! We get Fear Street Part 2, 1978. Written by, oh man, now I have to say these names. Yes, you do. Good luck. The screenplay by Zach Okowicz and Lee. Did we decide? Is it Yannick? Janiak? Say it different every time. <laughs> every time. Lee J. Lee J. Lee, we still want you on the pod just to like answer some questions, but like mostly tell us how to pronounce your last name. Thank you very much. And story by Zach Olkowicz, Phil Graziade. Uh huh. Graziade? Sure. And Lee J, come on the pod. Yeah, all of you come on the pod because like (laughs) 
we butch we butcher last names all the time but like yeah i feel like i should get zach's last name right because it looks polish and i pride myself on being able to pronounce polish words <laughs> um based on the books by rl stein there's yeah directed by lee janik <laughs> sure let's go with that one this time sure that's what it is this time metacritic oh sorry it's got a Rotten Tomato score of 88% fresh and a Metacritic score of 61 out of 100. And that is out of 16 reviews, which doesn't seem right. Because wasn't the other one, the first one out of like 20 something? Something like that, yeah. All right, Metacritic, I see you, I see you. <laughs> um, it's nine positive and seven mixed. And it looks like 83 was the highest score that it got. Hmm. I mean, I feel like the, both of the Rotten Tomatoes and the Metacritic should both be higher, but they're a lot higher than Friday the 13th. So what do I know? It's true. Got, got, got a lot of questions there. Yeah. And the IMDb summary for that one. Shady side, 1978. School's out for summer and the activities at Camp Nightwing are about to begin. But when another shady sider is possessed with the urge to kill... The fun in the sun becomes a gruesome fight for survival. Who wrote this? <laughs> Netflix, who are you paying? Can I take their job? Can I can I have whatever they're smoking? Like, who wrote this? <laughs> none of that. Well, well, I mean, it's implied, but none of that is really talked about in the movie. I like fun in the sun fun in the what fun are they having it opens with like a group of bullies trying to murder the heroine yeah yeah because they're calling her a witch because she stole ten dollars allegedly yeah which I get that was more in the 70s but I feel like it wasn't that much more but like they have no valid proof that it was her either so right i mean they're just doing it because they're assholes bitch anyway so can i just start with a point it's kind of a minor point but it is something i forgot to mention in the previous episode two weeks ago sure which is that all of the fear street movies have a score by marco beltrami who also did the score for the Scream franchise. So I'm oh. so mad that I forgot to mention that last week. Oh, which, that's fascinating. But he's he, he did the score, not music supervision, which is right. what like, pulled the music and everything. Yeah, he, he did the original score compositions, not the curation or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I can't believe I forgot to mention that because I did notice that watching Scream and the first Fear Street back to back. Oh, Marco Baltrami. But I love in this one, he does, it still sounds like his work and it still like coheres to the previous Fear Street score, but he's doing so much to make it sound like something that could have been composed in 1978 and following those trends. Right. Well, to be fair, this movie is a flashback movie because it starts, it bookends in 94. Right, right. You're right. No, I lied. It doesn't book in a 94. It starts in 94 and then it ends in 1666. So the whole the whole movie is and what's in 1978 takes place in a day. Yeah, it is one. It's July 19th, 1978. For the whole day. 24 hours. Which yeah i mean it's sun up by the end of it so we can presume that the last few scenes are technically july 20th but it's nighttime who gives a shit and in um friday the 13th it's two days yeah there is potential that like between uh them going to the camp and then the murders happening happening there were a couple of days in between but like what we as the audience yeah. see is two days. Right. And, and the murders happen within the same day. Yeah. Well, wait, no. Oh, well, not Who Crazy the first... Ralph. Crazy Ralph and the sheriff or the sheriff, the deputy are murdered on day one, I want to say. Okay. Definitely right. Ralph. So but... when the people actually associated with the camp start getting murdered, it's the same day. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, I did also notice uh, a, another like big difference between them. Well, first of all, who was the final girl of 1978? Is it really Ziggy or is it Cindy? They play with it. Or is it both? Can we have final girls? And like really only only Ziggy survives? Well, even Ziggy technically dies and she's just revived. That's true. So technically you could say we have two final girls who both die in this movie. Right, because like what rewatching it for this episode, I was just like, Cindy's getting a lot of like the final girl treatment. Cause she fights uh she's fighting for her life the whole movie mm-hmm. um whereas Ziggy's unaware for quite a bit of it right ziggy is kind of like Ginny in friday the 13th because Ginny doesn't really interact with jason for until like an hour and seven minutes almost eight minutes into the movie right and it's also it's kind of interesting um that you even bring that up because i did I noted this time that it's interesting how late we're even introduced to Ginny in Friday the 13th part two. Sandra is the first of the counselors that we meet really Sandra and her boyfriend, whatever his Jeff. Uh, Sure. (laughs) We're introduced to them first and they get quite a bit of focus in the first portion of the movie, but they die fairly early on. So it's kind of, I don't know that they were intentionally, because I don't know if those tropes were like truly set in at the point where you could like play with them this way or subvert them this way. But it does kind of, it kind of plays with your expectations of a Friday the 13th movie because Ginny's the last one to show up at the camp and we don't meet her until she shows up. But she gets a spectacular entrance. She sure does. I love her. (laughs) And if you don't, believe shady go listen to our our friday the 13th episodes where we talked about the franchise boom i forgot to plug those episodes listen to that and then why why not listen to the nightmare on elm street ones after that and then the the franchise episode anyway (laughs) um oh so also in friday the 13th there's one other person that dies prior to like the mass the massacre Mm. section and that is Alice, the, the final girl from the first movie. But with that happening, both movies do have a time jump. They do. Because, they, they have a prologue that takes place in a different year. Yeah, because um, Fear Street, they start in 94, but they go to 78. Mm-hmm. And that, which makes it a period, like a big period movie. A period within a period. A period within a period. And then Friday the 13th, is technically also a period movie because it takes place in the future yeah of the release date i should say right well the first friday the 13th was released in 1980 but takes place in 1979 which fair enough that's probably when most of it was shot but that does mean that the beginning with alice takes place in 1979 because they don't they say that she was she disappeared six months later so maybe 1980. Okay. Because maybe, I think, yeah. I think yes, 1980. No, you're right. 1979 is the beginning because uh, we talked about this on our Friday 13th episode <laughs> where uh, parts two, three, and four are set in the course of a weekend or a week yeah. and it's in 1984. Yeah. Yeah. Technically this is all taking place in the future but then by the time we get to part four it sort of catches up catches to real up. time yeah so for the most part and then it goes off the rails <sighs> yeah the the timeline in that series is something is else bonkers and i love every second of it me too um but that does kind of remind me of um talking about how these have prologues that start with a time jump they also they both open with a recap of the first movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, although with uh, Friday the 13th, it's done sort of like a dreamy flashback. And in Fear Street, they just straight up do previously on, like it's a soap <laughs> opera, uh, which I'm totally okay with. Um, previously on General Hospital. <laughs> and then you get an extended sequence with 
a survivor of a previous massacre going about her daily routine while still clearly dealing with PTSD and up to the point where it involves her having a pet. Alice has a cat or she takes care of a stray cat possibly. And then C. Berman, Gillian Jacobs in Fear Street has a dog named Major Tom. There's also Muffin. Muffin! I forgot about Muffin. Who oh. may or may not be alive. Yeah, it's very questionable. Um, I do love that cut of Jason looking at Muffin and then it's hot dogs on a grill. I know, right? It's so good. Um, so this one really blew my mind because we talked about last week that you picked these movies, the, these ma- um, mashups, if you will, uh, for this series that we're doing. And in both of them, the final girl, or a final girl, I should say, since we're still unclear who exactly is the final girl for Fear Street, right. um, a final girl has her nerves tested with like a quote-unquote icky, scary animal. Yes, I wrote that down too. She's hiding from the killer and she has to not react to something crawling right by her. Yeah. So like, but like poor Ginny literally pees herself. And I was just like, does this really need to happen? Like, (laughs) I mean, to be fair, how long is it since she's had access to a toilet? That's true. And she drank all that beer at the bar. Right. I do love it's so 1981 where they're all like, hey, everybody, let's be responsible adults and go drink and drive. Right. It's like, okay, well, that and Ginny in an academic way using the R word. I'm like, oh, right. 1981. Right. Right. You could do that back then. It's true. Uh, What was I going to say? Oh, speaking of final girls, though, like. Ginny does get the final girl entrance in a way mm-hmm. where she's the last to come, but she has that. We talked about this last time where she has this. I want I'm going to say purity. I don't think that's the right word I want to use. She has this like glow about her that reeks like she's the final girl. Right. Right. No, I know what you mean because it's not necessarily that she's like, here of soul in that she's like the virgin she would never touch drugs or alcohol because she touches she, she does right she does and she's flirting with her boss which is you know not great um in terms of being like virginal pure quote unquote how did we miss that by the way that in both the first and the second movie of the series of Friday the 13th, the final girl flirts with, has a relationship with her boss. Yeah. We never, we never mentioned that. Oh, I've got a point for Fear Street later on too. That ties into that. Um, But she is sort of like, like just the look of her is sort of ethereal. And she's even brought in as like, well, yeah, she's a little bit crass and um, you know, she's not like perfectly wholesome 1950s girl, but she, she has like, an education and she is like applying that to her job in a way that the other counselors aren't which sort of I mean it marks her as the the final girl because the final girl is usually also supposed to be the most intelligent one right and that but in Fear Street uh we don't really get that sort of treatment like we in both movies that we have the stock character types that we've talked about you know the the whore, the stoner, the uh, stoner slash prankster, because we have the prankster in Friday the 13th. Um, uh, The jock, uh, the final girl and, or the virgin and uh, who am I missing? The missing one, the nerd. Uh But I feel like in Fear Street, they're a little more caricature-y, which is odd. Because we don't really get that in uh, the Friday the 13th series until like maybe four or five where they're super, where they're like. Right, they're they, like, this, is, this one adjective is my whole personality. They may as well be named after the adjective, yes. Yeah. Like, in, like forget being called like Billy or something. I, I'm the stoner. Like right. my name is Stoner. 
Like <laughs> it's what we, everyone's gonna call me anyway. So right, but I feel like that's odd that in a 2021 movie set in the 70s, they're doing something major like that. I I do feel like to a degree they're also playing with it though because they're also sort of layering different portions of those personalities in each character. That's true. And that's the key word for this trilogy is layers. Right. Because um, you've got like Alice and Arnie who are obviously like the the sort of asshole stoners, uh, but they're also introduced fucking. Yes. And Alice gives like a final girl speech. She does. She's ultimately the one who like rallies the troops in the end. Which um, is so sad. It's so upsetting that, you know, then she like, gets murdered right after that i mean it has it had to have happened but i was just like oh we we do know going into this one because it's flashbacks there's only one survivor well yeah it's not going to be like fear street 1994 where three of them make it out but do they make do three of them really make it out three of of them make it out and then somebody's possessed yes and speaking of possession tommy gets uh-huh. possessed like right. right off the bat well, well 10 minutes into it kind of so I wrote it down that he doesn't fully get possessed and kill somebody until f- exactly 44 minutes in 44 minutes 44 minutes which I was shocked by when I looked at that time code because I was like I feel like this was a lot like the whole first act of 78 is so much quicker than the first act of 94 Mm-hmm. but it's actually not we see like though tommy the, do you want to say a road yeah we we kind of well we get hints that it's going to be him uh when nurse lane attacks him right and then we see the flies around him which is a big theme about this right right those series. flies we kind of start to hear the tommy whispers that only he reacts to and then you see him and they slowly like change his makeup they make him a little more sweaty they give him a little more like greasy yeah. hair there's even that part where he's giving a pep talk to uh the shady side campers and he like has to take a minute because he's like feeling the spell i'm feeling it i'm feeling it <laughs> uh but when he becomes possessed, he has to kill. He just kills shady siders. Like that's the goal. Um, Which it took me until the second time I watched through that. I was like, oh, that's why all the Sunny Valers made it out. Cause he's only going after shady siders, which threw for the me most a little part, bit. There, he killed about mm, nine people. I want to say. I have nine. Or 10. I have yeah. nine. And I, think when they show the body bags at the end I counted 10 but he would have been one of them yes that's where that's where my number is so he killed nine um 10 is him 11 is Cindy and then I put 0.5 because Ziggy Ziggy dies but comes back to life so we have 11 and a half (laughs) for a body count but in Friday the 13th there are nine uh yes Alice, what's his name? The 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 Crazy harbinger, Ralph. Crazy Ralph, deputy, and then the six counselors mm-hmm. who stayed behind. Right, but then we don't know what. That's happened. why I'm. That's why I said it as a question because we don't oh, know about okay. Paul. Right. Or Muffin. 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 Muffin's alive. I feel it in my bones. Well, so it's interesting with that movie because there's a dream ending if you will like a book that that movie bookends with dreams mm-hmm. because we're not 100 percent sure about when Ginny and paul come go back into the cabin and then jason jumps out which by the way it it, it takes fucking forever i watched <laughs> it and i was just like why are we taking forever pick up the pace <laughs> like that's a that's a big difference with these two movies where like once Tommy starts killing he's just gone he's he's ready he kills anyone and everyone yeah I feel like a a large part of that is just these movies being products of their time where in 1981 we were still teasing out a lot of stuff between kills and by this point we've seen so many slasher movies that it's like just just get to the good stuff right now just just get it just just kill that kill 
Kill yeah. him with an axe. Which generally I prefer the older model because I do like to actually see the character development between and I, I like there to be a story in between. But let's be honest, a lot of those movies don't have much story in between. So it's a lot no. of bullshit. And in like Fear Street has a great story and great characters underneath the kills. Yes, but we got it. We, we want blood. Remember, remember my whole like TED talk? Come on, we want blood. <laughs> So a big difference is that Friday the 13th, this is a camp for counselors in training. So they're all older teens, early 20s. Yes. Okay. And I think then, I know where you're going. I think yeah, I know where you're going. Fear Street 1978 is like a fully functional camp with young campers. And like, we see kids who I don't read as being older than 14 be packed apart. Right. Well, I mean, because there is that, unwritten rule in slasher horror films that you or films in general that you don't see children be murdered right so it's in the dark or it's right around a corner but like you, but see you the can hear it and you can hear it and i was like jesus christ this movie is not playing around whatsoever i thought you were going with that like at camp nightwing there is one maybe two adults Oh my God, right, right. Where are the, like, is Nurse Lane the only actual adult? What the fuck is going on there? Because, like, (laughs) the counselors, I mean, they're probably, like, 1920, but, like, they're not really adults. No, no, they're college-aged, which... Yeah, I mean, you you need, like, a 25-year-old. You need a few 25-year-olds there. Right, um, right. You have these counselors who... I don't know the the age difference between Ziggy and Cindy. I want to say it's maybe three years. I would say at the most three years, my best guess would be one or like like a year and a half as far as age, but like a year as far as grade. Does that make sense? Yes, I know what you mean. But the same could be said about Ziggy and Nick. Right. Well, she says my last year as camper, your first year as counselor, which I took as they're a year apart. But for all we know, you stop going to this camp at 16 and you can't be a counselor until you're 18. Right. So that and that, that also then goes with Cindy, too, where you're like, OK, so are you 20? Are you 18? Right. She's saving up for college, but like you can take years off between high school and college. That's true. Maybe she's 19 then. Yeah. Um, uh, but that does kind of bring me back to an earlier point. We were talking about the romances uh, with the final girl uh, in the first two th- Friday the 13th is with her boss. Ziggy does have a romance with somebody who's technically her superior. And it is acknowledged that that's a potential issue. And then they ignore it. But like they acknowledge it at least. I thought you were going to talk about Stoner Girl and that one asshole counselor. <laughs> I love I, that asshole counselor. I read it though that he was like head counselor and then everyone else was like his subordinate. Oh, uh, absolutely. He 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 reads head counselor to me. Fucking asshole. Like <laughs> I kind of love him. Uh, he does get all the kids to safety after, you know, the first seven kids are horribly murdered while well, he's naked. Yes. It's also interesting in both of these movies, despite Nick being somebody with authority over Ziggy, Ziggy openly like challenges his authority. And Ginny kind of does the same thing to Paul where she's like kind of always like stepping over him a little bit and and, like basically not afraid to say, hey, I know more about some of this shit than you do. Um, And I wonder if that was intentional in both of these movies to sort of mitigate that power imbalance slightly be feminism you mean yeah feminist yeah slightly feminist i i I would assume with fear street at least that that was the goal uh maybe in friday the 13th it was just that's a way we can give Ginny some character that makes her stand out from other final girls but i gotta say i really love that moment in friday the 13th where Ginny does that whole stream of consciousness about jason's mentality Mm -hmm. and I mean, we we kind of get that in Fear Street where they talk about how Tommy is possessed mm-hmm. and everything. Right. Where it's they're trying to figure least. out the witch's curse and all that. 
right it's not of his own will that he's murdering people yeah where she basically where in uh friday the 13th jenny's like he's out for revenge like yeah and and, the, and also he doesn't he doesn't understand the world so he also can't understand what exactly he's doing right and and this move and for tommy though he is now what we've deemed a zombie right because he is no longer in control of his own body right um he is has one objective and that's kill all shady ciders yeah i kind of took it because it, it confused me the first time watching these because sunny Valers do get killed in the first movie and then it wasn't until the rewatch that i was like oh sunny Valers get killed when it's like the undead ones who are after a specific target right which... and when they're still technically alive but possessed they are going just for shady ciders right uh so like those cops died because they were in the way of the zombies right. objectives right and peter who is like king sunnyvale king asshole uh, but like unfortunately we don't get a similar scene with sheila who in my notes i, I don't know if you can see this i'm going to show you john i just wrote at one point fuck <laughs> she is the worst wait which one was sheila she is the bully who burned Ziggy. She's the Judy. So the compare, Judy. compare her. Camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get it. Her hair is the same length. It's the I, same. When I rewatched it, I was just like, oh, you pulled from Sleepaway Camp for, for Sheila. Let's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there were a few things that I was like, this is Sleepaway Camp more than Friday the 13th. Mostly just in that it was a summer camp with like actual campers who get murdered. Well, yeah, because in that one, yeah, the kid. Uh, yes, what you just said. <laughs> and then also, you know, kids are like doing pranks on each other in a bathroom in an outhouse, which also happens in sleepaway camp. Oh, watch out for the curling iron. Uh, yeah. What? No, that one was that one was a stretch, though. I'll I'll, I'll call myself out for that. Uh, but I wrote down for uh, Friday the Thirteenth and final and not final girls. What am I doing? Fear Street. Uh, Jason murders indiscriminately though. Uh, like he's just like, you're in, I mean, they're both kind of like, you're in my way, but like, right. Jason doesn't have a plan of attack. Whereas right. Tommy being controlled is just like, kill all shady singers. Right. And, and it's also interesting because he's someone that they recognize he can get close to them before he actually kills them. Before Jason they put this... that stupid sack on him that <laughs> magically fits his face. And I'm just like, guys, like, okay. <laughs> I, I get it. We're talking about possession here, but like, how does a burlap sack magically just like, like conform to your face? I that's don't, the word I was looking for. I don't believe you. Uh, but like, but, it's so sad with like Gabe from Pen15 and those like four kids in the in the Sunnyvale jail who before they even register that he's holding an axe and covered in blood they're like counselor Tommy like he could just walk up to them and they like because they know that he Tommy is a good, is a good person. person and because e even Cindy is just like he was my he was a good person he was a sweet Tommy yeah and, uh, and I do I love that we don't get this so much in 1994 because we don't get to spend that much time with Ryan Torres before he gets possessed. But we do get a lot of foundation for like, no, the people that this is happening to are like good people who could have made it out of this town. And like that's- Everyone in Shadyside is a good person in a way. Yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, yeah. At, at the worst, they're misunderstood. Right. Uh, but Tommy only has one weapon which is his axe mm -hmm. for Jason. Anyone, anything's a weapon. And sometimes anyone like in Jason X, when he uses a sleeping bag, right. The simulation <laughs> guys, really just go back and listen to our other episode where we talk about the franchise. Right. It'd be worth your time. So uh, we kind of touched upon this last time, but in Friday the 13th, everyone's horny. Oh, buddy! Super horny, like, like I know they're we there to fornicate. I, I, I know we said that um, they're not necessarily the adjectives, but they are 
a caricature for like wanting to fuck yeah and in um fear street like yes the counselors are horny because they're older teens Mm -hmm. young adults if you will but like they're they're also to work and they are because they take their jobs seriously except maybe alice and arnie yes they're they're there for the kids right I mean, I feel like a, a, on some level, Alice and Arnie are there for the kids, but like right. they're, they're also they're not, like they're not going to ignore them. They're also just like, we're not going to clean the fucking outhouse. We're going to get stoned, listen to the runaways and fuck on this table and have loud, angry sex. Um, yeah, I loved as a throwback to the slashers of the late 70s and early 80s that there were two sex scenes in this movie. And something that I love, again, it, because it was written and directed by a woman, she flips the script on uh, the nudity because the Friday the 13th a lot of movies. Butt. Yeah. Friday the 13th movies, infamous for dem titties. Um, but not this one, right? I mean. This one, you get, you get, you get a little bit of titty. Because she, she goes. Harry goes skinny dipping. Yeah. But Sandra... I mean, that actor, that actress uh, and the character, I mean, she could have been 14 years old. Like, I, Right. No, I think we discussed this last time. That actress was underage and she was supposed to have a topless scene. And then they found out her real age and they were like, well, that's child pornography. So never mind. So we're just going to cover, have, yeah. have your boyfriend be on top of you. And- yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously later films in the series get like super tittyfied. And then... Lee J so many titties Lee J she doesn't shy away from like a little we get like a smidgen of Jones boobs um which makes sense because I would also kind of hate it if she was like wearing a bra in that scene right but like the focus sorry go ahead oh you know you you make your point because you sound like you're gonna have a better point than me oh I was gonna say the focus as far as nudity is male butts all butts all the time all butts all the time the one thing about fear street which we kind of didn't talk about last week last time either uh but i want to say it now the casting was very well done where they all look like teenagers yeah like come on they're all they're all in their 20s they're not as bad as soccer channing in greece but like (laughs) you know that they're older then they look older than what they're playing in the first in the 94 and in this one some of them you can tell they're probably in their early to mid 20s but d i think she was born in like 92 or something so she's almost hold on let me let's look it up so i don't kiana medaria yeah she was born in 92 wow and Olivia Scott Welsh, who plays Samantha, okay. was born in 98. Wow, they both read teenager. When wait, Sadie Sink is actually a teenager though, right? Uh yes. I okay. believe so. And Benjamin Flores Jr., who plays Josh. Okay. Okay. Is, so they're they're actual teenagers. Um yeah, they're, they're actually born like- the same year that I look it up on IMDb. Aww. They're both born in 2002. They're, oh, they're both 19 right now. They were probably 17 when they shot this? 17, 18. Well, okay. no, 18, because they film. I think they filmed it last year in 2020. Okay, under under quarantine? Or did they? maybe they did it in 2019 and they waited a year to release it? If they filmed it under quarantine, they did a fantastic job of hiding it because it was masked so well that I assumed it had to have been a 2019 shoot. <laughs> Hold on, I'm looking it up. March 2019 is when they started filming. Oh, that's right. Because they were filming all three movies like back to back. So like. Right. They did it Lord of the Rings style. Not really. Because it was one, three, two. That makes sense. Well, Lord of the Rings was one and then a year and then two, three. (laughs) Um, I'm going to not talk about Lord of the Rings anymore. Please don't because I'm going to like go (laughs) cross-eyed. uh we're derailing let's get back somehow right. so scream and friday the 13th clearly adults playing teenagers fear street they did a really good job casting actors who read who, young 
who read young or are young because right. like we said sadie sink and benjamin flores jr are technically still teenagers and when they right. filmed it they were like 16 17 so right and I was going to say, like, Sadie Sink reads to me in this movie as 16, definitely no older. Yeah. It also helps that she had that healthy career on the other Netflix show, Stranger Things. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> that always helps. That always helps. Uh, but, like, the unusual thing about uh, Fear Street is that they don't utilize jump scares. Really. They don't. And I think that's another thing that, like, Lee J is smart and in tune with like the trends and everything and she knows that there's a backlash against jump scares i mean it's great for like the conjuring because it's with because that is all spiritual and mystical and everything but with these movies because they're like genre bending in a way they don't utilize the cat jump scare that friday the 13th is known for which i'm so upset that i didn't bring it up because like in two in this one there is one and then there's another one later on in other movies there's like other cat jump scares and i'm like where are these fucking cats coming from <laughs> there's one in a scream as well there's the cat in the garage oh right and then there's the one in scary movie where <laughs> it's, it's all animals <laughs> it's so they they go up to a horse another great thing about friday the 13th is that like we see the town around the campsite before Mm. we go to the camp Mm -hmm. which helps with the world building in a way it does it helps you understand why these people are so isolated and it helps with the the history of that site and it's great with like that's what they do in that series where Yes, we're being isolated in the woods, but you see us going from civilization to isolation. Fear Street, you were isolated already. Mm-hmm. People, outsiders do come in, but it's not the same. Like, right. Um, you are at this camp pl- getting ready for Color Wars right off the bat from the beginning of right. uh, Sigurdman's story. Right. As soon as it says Fear Street 1978, it's a scream and it's Ziggy running through the woods, running away from her bullies. Yeah. So we are immersed into that world very fast. Where Right. Which I wonder, I mean, I feel like they can get away with it because it is a sequel where the first movie we learned a lot about the town and the history. I think I said this last time too. I feel like Fear Street is more like a series rather than individual movies. Yeah, it feels like a mini series in a lot of ways. Which I'm I'm not mad about at all. That's but, how they made it. Right. They didn't yeah. they didn't make it to be standalone movies. But they are. But they are Blanche. They are. They can be. <laughs> they they have a distinct style, each of them, which I'm not gonna go off on a whole nother tangent about cinematography again, except just to say that I love how grimy this one feels compared to the first one. It's not quite to the level of Friday the 13th part two, but it's not going to be because it's 2021, but it feels grimier and I love that. Like yes. even just like, you can almost feel the dirt on the camera lens. It's great, love it. I like though that we get more, it's so weird that like you get more of the story in a flashback uh, mm. where we, the audience get more of the story. Cause like we're brought to the caves for the first time or the tunnels, I should say mm. for the first time. And with Friday the 13th, yes, Ginny is speculating, but that's just her opinion. Like who knows right. the actual psych- psychology of Jason. Right. She's still an undergrad. So what, what does she really know? That, that's intro to Psych 101. But like in Friday the 13th, we don't really, this franchise, we don't really know that much about Jason besides that he's out for revenge. Yeah. Uh, which is fascinating. Would you say in a way that Nurse Lane in Fear Street 78 plays a similar role to Crazy Ralph or the crazy Ralph character type. The Harbinger? 
Yeah, the Harbinger in Friday the 13th? Um, yes. Okay. Yes. I'm going to give it a hard yes. Because she's the one who, she started the research and she's clearly a little bit off her rocker when she attacks Tommy. Right. But she, she knows something that the other characters don't know at that point. Which is that his name is on the stone, which means that he is mm-hmm. called to be the next killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, interestingly, Jordana Spiro's performance in the scene with Ziggy, where she's talking about her daughter, Ruby Lane, who was the previous killer. Um, that reminded me a lot of Betsy Palmer's performance as Pamela Voorhees. Ooh! Has not, I mean, Bravo. We, see it, we see the recap in part two, but it's not in part two. Bravo. Bravo. I, I did not liken those two together. But I can see it because, like, they do a turn in a way. Mm-hmm. Nurse Lane, she's wrapping Ziggy's arm and getting tighter and tighter. And with uh, Pamela Voorhees, she's talking and she just snaps in a way. Yeah. And it's so good. And I know she did it just for a car, but like, come on. I hope the car was great. I hope it was a great car. She deserves it. She wanted a new car. And that's why she took the role. And she comes back in the sequel for like five seconds. For five seconds. Mommy's talking to you, Jason. Love it. Um, do you have any other similarities that you wanted to bring up before we move on or? Uh, I mean, th- there's a cop that's an asshole in both movies, but that's kind of like. Slasher. Like, that's that's the, within the genre. Yeah. Yeah. And was there. A, oh, so like uh, Friday the 13th, we kind of said has an ambiguous ending. Fear Street is uh, to be continued because we have a new movie coming out. Yeah. Next episode which will be the end of it. And I also wrote down that like the plot of this movie centers around C. Berman's trauma, Mm. which I want to like put a pin in that for next episode in a way. Okay, okay. I want to do something similar. I wanted to bring up that both movies after doing the brunt of the work uh, against the killer, our ultimate final girl, I'm, I'm just... That's how I wrote it, but I'm talking about Ziggy um, yeah, yeah. and Ginny. They get rescued by their love interest, but it's under extremely confusing circumstances. The asterisk I want to put there is that with Friday the 13th Part 2, it's very uh, confusing because we, yeah. we don't know what part of it is a dream sequence and what isn't. Um, and Fear Street, it seems straightforward when you watch this movie, but when you watch it back after having watched the third movie, a lot of it comes into question. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we talked a lot. We did talk a lot. Shady, should we go to the special features? We'll go to special features. Special features. Usually in special features, we like to, we take a movie and we one-up each other. Uh, We all know this by now. (laughs) But for this trilogy that we're doing, we are focusing on what Fear Street is trying to capture with its tone and mood. Those are the same words, aren't they? No, no, go with it. Uh, And so last episode... I talked about the slasher genre because 1994 was paying homage to slasher films of like the 80s and 90s. This episode, Shady is going, did some research to talk about campsite horror movies. Is that what we want to call it? Sure. sure. Isolated Camp horror? slashers. Um, uh, uh, wilderness horror. Wilderness horror. Yes. Okay. Camp slasher. <laughs> not not camp meaning like it's funny and over the top, but camp like what these movies are. They're set at a camp. Right. Um, so I tried to like really show off as a librarian uh, with like some, some actual academic research. research. Um, but you didn't and- just use Wikipedia like I did? Uh, see, I did at first and Wikipedia was like really not giving me enough stuff to talk about. <laughs> 
Rude. So I, I had to I had to go librarian on that. It was kind of hard to find stuff about that really gets into the psychology of horror uh, without having to pay for it. And it turns out there's really not that much research on the subject, which is kind of amazing because as we talked about, there's a long history of people enjoying this kind of stuff. Shady, I guess we have to write a thesis on it or something, write a paper or something. I guess so. Um, But one theory that I came across, which was very interesting to me regarding slasher movies, Dr. Dolph Zillman came up with the, the idea of excitation transfer theory, which is basically that people's brains will, by, by experiencing secondhand a dangerous situation, your brain can release the cortisol associated with that adrenaline um, without actually releasing the chemicals that cause the anxiety just by witnessing something that's exciting which is a nicer way of saying what i said last time yeah yeah it was i I was like let me let me say the same thing and throw a bunch of uh two dollars um basically just everything you said last week is backed up by psychology so you were correct and i hope you feel you feel vindicated Thank you, Wikipedia. (laughs) But what I ended up going into, because we are talking about specifically camp horror movies here, um, I wanted to research a lot about, see if there was any psychology on why isolation is so terrifying. Guess what? There's not a whole lot of research that I could find on that subject. A lot of it is pretty straightforward, exactly what you'd expect. We find the woods to be creepy because you're alone, you're away from technology, and there are lots of trees that people can hide behind, which is why, for example, there aren't that many horror movies set in deserts. I mean, there are exceptions, don't get me wrong, but they're like typically the scariest place you can think of for a lot of people is a deep, dark, wooded area. And that's going back to grim fairy tales. Little Red Riding Hood is stalked in the woods. And hold that thought for next episode, by the way. might come up yeah but one thing that i was reminded of and i can't cite this as an actual academic source but there is a video on youtube that you can look up if you would like to yourself uh from the heyday of crack.com you know before they sold it and there was a video (laughs) called four creepy hidden truths behind popular scary stories after hours it's part of their after hours mini series um, and that miniseries was always four people overanalyzing pop culture in a diner. In this one, it's around a campfire. On a podcast. <laughs> one of those four people is a man by the name of Daniel O'Brien. And you should know who that is. He's a writer for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. He's, he's a very smart, funny man. But his argument in that video is that Wilderness horror stories are very specifically tied to North American identity and culture in a way that it's not tied to, say, British culture. A lot of the classic scary stories you think of that originated in England actually take place in urban areas. I mean, obviously, there were a lot of legends about Jack the Ripper uh, that that sort of formed out of those real life murders. But you also get stories like Jekyll and Hyde, which is in London, and you get Sweeney Todd, which is set in London. And his argument is because in England, a lot of their most immediate horrors came with industrialization. Conversely, you actually don't get a whole ton. Again, there are exceptions. You don't get a ton of urban set horror stories that are North American. You get a lot of horror stories from North America that are set in the wilderness. A lot of our biggest atrocities were committed on the fringes of society. We killed the Native Americans and chased them off their lands while we were stretching our frontiers. Slavery took place, most of the horrors of slavery took place on plantations. They didn't happen in factories. And so his argument is that we actually associate a lot of our own guilt and what we know is something that has left a deep wound on our society and largely defected the way we live was done in more secluded areas. And I thought that was a really fascinating argument. 
again, I really wish I could have found like actual academia that backed that up. But I think there's something. You cited your source. It's okay. (laughs) There is something to it, though. I do think that's true because he is correct. Even when Jason took Manhattan, he mostly stayed on the boat. You have a point there because, like, even Scream is set in a small ish town where they're isolated. Yeah, it's he, he kind of put the suburbs under the same umbrella or a similar umbrella where it's like there's still a level of isolation there yes and like they're not like you know the town I grew up in we were we had a couple of yards between us and the house next door and then the house on the other side right in scream it seems like they've got a lot more distance between the next house yeah Stu's house is on a hill randomly but yeah, um, I'm going to keep it at that because, again, I could not find a lot of like real psychological work or academic work on the subject, which is a shame because it's clearly enraptured people for literal centuries. Well, couldn't you say that like the isolation is what gets people where they're cut off from society and they are literally alone in the woods? Yeah, there, that's a big part of it. Um, even like when you think again to those London set stories that are in an urban area, they do still, the murder, the violence happens down dark alleyways. And, and there's sort of like the, the horror is sort of the juxtaposition between you're so close to society and you're still not quite in it. Well, cause like e- pulling from what you're saying, pure conjecture that I'm going to say right now, with camp horror films, you were pulling on different themes of horror where like you're isolated. Um, there's, a ma- there's a masked man, be it true or not. Uh, and then there's also kids being a thing, which yeah. that doesn't come into play for Friday the 13th until later in the series. But right. like... For all these other ones, there is the it's supposed to be the idea like there's no real adult supervision. Right. You, well, you don't have your parents when you're at summer camp. Right. And even then, if you have adults with you, it's not the adults who raised you and protected you your whole life. But even like what's that Eli Roth movie? Cabin um, Fever. That's the one. Even that one, like you are reliant on your friends. You're all the same age, and you're all stupid. Like <laughs> right. And, you know, audiences don't typically like seeing kids in danger. So that adds no. to the horror. That adds that anxiety, I don't, I don't, chemicals of the brain. Yeah. That you mentioned earlier. Because all of a sudden, kid in danger. And, you know, you hear about, like, parents being Superman, the Superman complex, I think it's called. Where, like, they mm. can lift a car to save a kid. And so mm. the, people want to do that to save the children, especially in Fear Street. I feel like people would want to save those kids that were brutally murdered that we didn't see. Mm. But obviously we can't because it's a movie, so. Right. And then I could list off a bunch of other slasher movies that take place at camps, but most of them We'll be here forever. Right. (laughs) There's a lot of them. Let's get into final thoughts then, shall we? We shall. In this section, we changed this section too, everyone, because of this trilogy. Uh, we're at. We're gonna ask four questions at the uh, now, uh, where three of them are usual ones, and then one is very different. Uh, so, Shady, did we like these movies? Two thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, get me a horror, like, whatever. Uh, (laughs) Would we watch them again? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Would we recommend them? Yes, comma. You should see the first one of each, though, before watching these. So again, if you haven't watched Fear Street 1994 and you listen to this whole episode, why? Right. Go back. Go back. 
And then finally, the new question, the sparkly new one. Ooh, Netflix edition. Did Fear Street capture, did this Fear Street movie capture the themes and style of Friday the 13th Part 2? You go first. I need to formulate my answer. Like I said, the key word for Fear Street is layered, where it's not just a slasher film. It's not just a mystical horror film. It's like every, there's like different elements here and there of the horror subgenres that we're playing with. But what what we, you and I kind of just talked about with the isolation and everything, I feel like Fear Street did capture that from Friday the 13th part two and the entire series. Let's be real here. Uh, Except for Jason on a spaceship. Um, But it's very different in style because of the the different platforms that they were released on and the different time periods because one is from the 80s where they were going through a, a different type of censorship and then one is from now where like we can get away with almost anything on a film right uh, but, like, I, we, we also don't think drinking driving is okay anymore yeah that's true but like <laughs> i feel like fear street is more gruesome and it goes places that friday the 13th just hints at mm-hmm. yeah i'm gonna go with you there i do think like Given that it does have to be part of a trilogy and it has to cohere with Fear Street 1994 and Fear Street 1666, which we will get to next episode in two weeks. um, Plug ahead. (laughs) It it does have to still feel like it's a piece with them. And, And the types of movies we're comparing this one to and the types of movies that we're comparing those two to are very different in terms of the look in terms of production value. So it can't be this like super grainy indie movie like the early Friday movies were. But there is still, like, it's kind of amazing that all three of these Fear Street movies share the entire same creative team because they do still all have, while they cohere and while they still feel like uh, pieces of a larger story, they all have such a distinctive look. Uh, and and again, I'm thinking of like, even just the score sounds like Marco Beltrami, but it's not exactly the same. It's not the same stuff as Fear Street 1994. He, he's using a lot more strings and a lot more like the scare, psycho type scare chords in this movie that were more conventional in the 70s and 80s. Whereas in, the, in 1994, he's using something that sounds much more like his score for Scream which is appropriate, but it's still, they're not the same, but they go together. They're not replicas. And I think this movie does a really good job of adapting this. It has to be 2021 Netflix because that's what it is, but still adapting that to, and we're paying homage to these super gritty indie B movies from the early eighties, like Friday the 13th part two. And it can't look grainy and quite as grimy as Friday the 13th did. But it does take that up a notch from 1994 in such a way that it's still like, you, you can feel the difference almost. And you can feel like, oh yeah, this is going after a very different feel than the first one was. So I want to bounce off of something right now and okay. not really to spoil the next episode either. Uh, if, you'll, if you notice... Phil Grazaday and Lee Janik are the only two consistent writers throughout the three movies. They bring on a different writer to help with either the story or the screenplay. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's also what we're seeing. Right, right. So to add a different voice to each one. Yes. While so, still having a guiding voice that is consistent. So like in the first one, the one that we did last episode Kyle Killen helped with the story mm-hmm. and this one we have Zach Zach Olkovics Olkovics Zach Olkovics and then next episode we have Kate Trifry 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 I don't know how to pronounce her last name either but we'll say her name again can one of them just be a Smith 
<laughs> R.L. Stein. Uh, <laughs> but they have, I feel like, I don't, I don't know their other works personally, but I feel like they may have been that third voice that like helped them be like, no, we're doing a camp horror movie this, right. this time. Right. So we have to abide by these rules that are. Right. The, this is what 1978 would have been. This is what 1994 would have been. We, we need fresh eyes on each one to like bring that sort of energy to each one. Yeah. So um, I think we're saying yes and no with this question. We kind of did that last time too, didn't we? Yeah. But like we're showing our work. So that's also. <laughs> That's also a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but we're done with the episode. Hooray! We did it. <laughs> we did it. This is a long one. If you want to get in touch with me and, you know, tell me what I did right or wrong in this episode, please do. I welcome it. Um, you can tweet me at Movies John. That's John with no age. And if you want to do all the same, but for me, uh, Shady, not as in Shady side, but I'll pretend it's named after me. It is named after you. Remember, we said that last time. Yeah, and you have Johnton. Okay, yes. now I remember. <laughs> All right, you can find me on Twitter at Cookie O Shady. You know the question. Uh, can I? Can I? Oh, 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 I, I, I had a good answer. What was yours? A s'more. Oh, that is a good. I was gonna say chocolate chip because we're going back to basics. Ooh. Both of them. I'm both of them. You're a chocolate chip s'more. How's that? <laughs> chocolate chip cookie s'more. You're a chocolate chip cookie s'more. So instead of graham crackers, you use chocolate chip cookies. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't care. It sounds delicious. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to get in touch with the podcast and tell us what you think about our chocolate chip cookie s'more, you can email us at moviedejavupod at gmail.com. That is m-o-v-i-e-t-e-j-a-v-u-p-o-d at gmail.com we're also on instagram and facebook at movie deja vu pod and we're on twitter at movie deja vu no pod why is that shady because the pod was the other berman sister who <gasps> we, we How were dare you yeah but i oh my it. god it's so sad though it's so depressing how dare you do that to the pod. <laughs> uh, and then if you want to be part of next episode's discussion, we're continuing with Fear Street Part 3, 1666. But this time, we are going to compare it to two movies because we couldn't find just one that was equivalent to it. Mm. So it's going to be versus Hereditary and The Witch. Have fun the- watching those. For obvious reasons. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if you don't understand why Fear Street 1666 and The Witch are going to be compared to each other, I'm going to slap you. Uh, but anyway, I think it's time for Color Wars, Shady. Red for Radiant if you're from Sunnyvale. Blue for Beautiful if you're from Shady Side. <laughs> Thank you, Joan. <laughs> it's Shagadelic. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Bye, everyone. Bye. Just wanna kill you.